Hello, and welcome to Matt's Music Class, the podcast for learning to understand music. I'm Matt W. Dayton, and today we're going to learn about the most common little nuggets of harmony, chords, how to build them, how to play them, and how to combine them with a melody. Having your keyboard handy will be useful for the playing bits, and being familiar with the concept of consonance and dissonance, which we talked about in Lesson 8, will also be helpful. So to review and warm up our ears for listening to harmony, let's do a little harmonic yoga exercise, listening for how the harmonies in a song shift back and forth between consonance and dissonance. Remember that when two pitches sound at the same time, their sound wave frequencies will interact with each other in different ways depending on their mathematical relationships, and our ears, and brains, perceive those interactions as either a nice smooth blending of the two pitches, or a tense sort of clashing of the two pitches. The relaxed or blendy feeling is called consonance, and the clashy feeling is called dissonance. So, when you hear harmonies that just seem to fit nicely together and make you go, ah, lovely, those are probably consonant harmonies. And when you hear harmonies that seem to be struggling to sit next to each other, uh, or make you think, oh, uh, that's an interesting note, is it going to move soon because I'm starting to get a bit anxious now, then those are probably dissonant harmonies. Now for your harmonic yoga of the day. I'm going to play you a song here, and just like we tried in the last lesson, I want you to focus your attention on the harmonies, so focusing on the background, not just the melody, and how the sound of the many simultaneous pitches feels, not emotionally, but just as physical sensations, with dynamically shifting qualities to them. And at the end of the song, think about how or how much this song used dissonant and consonant harmonies, like which one did it use more of, consonant or dissonant? Here it is. Okay, pretty nice song if I do say so myself. There was some occasional dissonance, but for the most part all the pitches seemed to move smoothly in sync and to fit and play nice together the whole time. Now I want you to listen to another song in the same way, really attending to the feel of the harmonies, their shifting qualities, and how this song uses consonant and dissonant harmonies. Here we go again.
wow, still a nice song, but that was some pretty radical shifting with quite a few crunchy, dissonant moments and several harmonies that felt really unexpected. Hopefully you can agree that this second song played with dissonance a whole lot more than the first song, even though it wasn't all clashing notes all the time or anything, but the more frequent use of clashing notes I think gave it a sense that something serious or dramatic is happening, whereas the first song by comparison was just a pleasant little stroll in the park. But besides this big contrast, I chose these particular examples because if one didn't pay attention to how these songs play with consonant and dissonant harmonies, one would expect them to sound very similar to each other. They were written in roughly the same time period, in the same country, by composers who knew and respected each other, and who are both archetypal examples of the so-called high baroque style in classical music history. The first song came from a recorder sonata by Georg Philipp Telemann, and the second song was an arrangement of a Lutheran hymn tune by Johann Sebastian Bach. So now you know that harmonic complexity, some might say profundity, is one reason Bach is the bigger name today, but funnily enough, most people back in their own lifetimes thought Telemann was hands down the better composer. His music was way more popular, but then again, he was probably easier to get along with, or from Bach's perspective, he was just more willing to suffer fools. So now let's zoom in a bit on harmony and look at the most common system for how it's made. And let me start with an analogy that I thought of recently. Most of us are so familiar with numbers, even if you think you're bad at math, that it's easy to forget that numbers themselves are completely abstract things. And the reason they're so useful is exactly because they're these little packages of abstract information that can be manipulated in the mind and then easily translated into concrete physical things in our daily lives. Like, which is a better deal for my money? A 10-pack of soap or a 3-pack of soap? Well, the fact that it's soap doesn't make a difference. You just divide the price of each pack, which will be a number, buy the number of soaps in the package, and whichever comes out lower will be the cheaper per bar of soap. And this completely abstract process stays exactly the same when comparing boxes, Brussels sprouts, or bottles of beer on a wall. And in musical harmony, there are actually abstract entities that are analogous to numbers in that they are little complete packages of harmonic information, and these are called chords. So I think about chords as just these precise abstract packages of pitches, which can be manipulated in various ways, and when you put several chords next to each other and play them with a melody, you can start to see patterns that correlate with musical, physical, visceral, and even emotional effects in the listener. What does all that mean? Well, for example, just as I could get a random number by rolling a die, I can get a random package of pitches, i.e. a random chord, by choosing a few pitches at random and playing them simultaneously. So here's a chord. It's an E, an A, a C-sharp, and a D. Now I can take this random chord and rearrange the order and placement of its pitches on the keyboard. So I can use this A down here, and then follow it with this D above it, and then use this C-sharp, and I can even use both this E and this higher E, and I get sort of a new sound, but harmonically, in a kind of abstract sense, it's really the same chord, assuming the musical context wasn't what prompted the reordering of pitches, but leave that aside for the moment, because the pitches included in the package are still E, A, C-sharp, and D. So this sort of manipulation of a chord is like looking at the same object from a different angle. When I look at a statue from the side and then move to look at it from the front, I do see a different pattern of light and color, but I don't usually think it's a completely different statue. Okay, so now we know that a chord is just a sort of abstract package of pitches. 
Let's look at the most common type of chord and just why it's so ubiquitous by solving a logic puzzle with help from the keyboard. This puzzle will use the major scale, which as we learned in lesson 8 is itself an abstract pattern of semitone intervals. 2, 2, 1, 2, 2, 2, 1. And just for convenience, we'll use the C major scale, all white keys from C to high C. Here's the puzzle. How can we make a chord with the most number of pitches possible while also maximizing its consonants. So we're only using pitches in the C major scale. We need to make sure that all the pitches in our chord, which is the solution to the puzzle, are consonant with each other, because if two of the pitches in our chord are dissonant with each other, then it won't be the most consonant chord that it could be, right? And we want to see how many different pitches we can include in this maximally consonant chord. So if we included all the Cs on the keyboard, that will only count as one pitch in the chord. So the first thing we would want to do is check what pitches are consonant and dissonant with each other, or better yet, what will make two pitches likely to be consonant or dissonant with each other. Let's try some simultaneous pitches and see what we can notice. I'll start out with a C, and play it at the same time with the pitch right next to it, to the right, a D, and see if that's consonant or dissonant. Hmm. It's not an unpleasant sound to me, but the two pitches definitely don't sound like they're blending smoothly together. They feel more clashy, so I'm going to call that dissonant. How about if I skip over the D and play C together with an E? Yeah, they're not necessarily blending into the same pitch or anything, but they're not in any hurry to get away from each other, so I'd say that's pretty consonant. And the consonance seems to continue the further we get from C as we try it with F, G, and A. These are all pretty consonant. But then, if I get as far away from the low C as I can get inside the scale, I get a pretty clear clash with the B. Again, not unpleasant to my ear, but not necessarily as blendy as the others. And notice that even though this particular B is quite far away from the low C, it is only one key, in fact only one semitone, away from the high C, which is even more dissonant to my ear. So if we generalize the pattern of consonances and dissonances we just tested, we could hypothesize that if two pitches are right next to each other, they will probably be dissonant. But if there is at least a skip between them, then they will probably sound consonant. And indeed, if you continued trying out different pairs of pitches in the scale, like this, you would find that this hypothesis works pretty well, except for one very special spot, which is with F and B. Even though they are pretty far away from each other, their combination makes what has historically been considered the strongest of dissonances. Europeans back in the day called it the Diabolus in Musica. But this diabolical harmony notwithstanding, we can still be sure that if two pitches are right next to each other, we won't achieve the maximum consonants we seek. So what is the answer to our puzzle? How many pitches will fit into a maximally consonant chord? Well, you can keep testing to verify this, but the answer is a chord that sounds like this. Ah, the familiar homely consonants of the triad. Three pitches within the major scale is the most you can get into a chord where each of its pitches is consonant with each of its other pitches. And that's why the triad is the most common type of chord used in music that generally values consonance over dissonance, which is most, though by no means all, music in the world. And that's why we say that European and American musics are based on triadic harmony. So a triad isn't just any chord with three pitches in it, it's a consonant chord with three pitches in it, which means to make a triad, you have to choose your pitches in a particular way. 
and here's what you do. Start with the pitch that you want to have as the foundation of the chord, which means the name of that pitch will also be the name of the chord. So here's a C, and I'm going to build a C chord, or a C triad. And the pitch, C, will therefore be called the root, or one, of the chord. Then go up two notes in the scale you're using, and add that pitch. In this case, it's the third note of the C major scale, which is an E. This is called the third of the chord, as you might expect, because it's the third note of the scale we're using to build the chord, also known as the third scale degree. And to get the last note, you repeat the previous procedure starting from your third. So go up two notes, or degrees, in the scale from our E, and we get to G, which will be the five of the chord since it's the fifth scale degree of C major. And now we have our basic triad, the root, or one, the three, and the five. And since we built this triad with C as its root, and all its notes come from the C major scale, this triad is called a C major triad. But actually, this process is just an algorithm for figuring out what pitches go inside a C major triad. Once we know that a C major triad consists of C, E, and G, then our abstraction of that package kicks in, and we can spread out our C's and E's and G's all over the place, like this, and as long as we're just hearing C's, E's, and G's sounding at the same time, we're hearing a C major chord. Now let's build a D triad using the same procedure and see what we get. D will be the root, or the one. Go two keys up on the keyboard and we'll add an F as the three of the triad, because remember we need one, three, and five. And go up two more from the F, and A will be the five of our triad. Here it is, a D triad. D, F, and A. Hmm, this D triad has a bit of a different feel to it than the C major triad. It still sounds nice and consonant, but somehow it's got a bit of a darker or lower quality about it. And that's because this is not a D major triad. After all, we didn't build it using the D major scale, we built it using the C major scale. It just so happens that D major and C major share quite a few pitches in common, so it didn't result in a nonsensical chord when we built a D triad from the C major scale, but it didn't give us a D major triad, it gave us a D minor triad. If you remember from lesson 8, we discovered that the D major scale has an F sharp rather than an F natural in it, so this F natural we're using from the C major scale is preventing our D triad from sounding like a major triad. Swap it out for the black key F-sharp just above it, and we get our still 1-3-5 D major triad. Cool. Let's build one last chord, and then we'll actually play some chords with a melody. We'll do a G major triad now, so we'll start with a G as the root, go up two degrees in the scale, and luckily the G major scale is mostly the same as the C major scale, so we can just keep using all white keys to get our three of the chord, which is B, and then go up two more, to get the five, which is D. There it is, our G major triad. And again, as long as you're hearing or playing the pitches G, B, and D at the same time, no matter what order they're in or how many of each you have, you're working with a G major chord. Now let's go back to the C major chord and we can play a song together with it. C major is C, E, and G, and I recommend playing all three keys with, with the fingers of your left hand even if you're right-handed. So I play the C with my pinky finger, skip one, E with the middle finger, skip one, and G with the thumb. 
I also suggest using the keys around the middle of the keyboard, since chords with all low notes sound pretty muddy, and when they're all high notes, the sound is a bit thin and tinny. So, your job will be to play the C major chord with me, and we'll make the rhythm all ta-ahs. So that's two beats each, like this. Ta, 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 ta. And while you do that, I'm going to add a very simple melody on top of it. I think you might recognize the melody, but don't get distracted. Play the chord on steady ta-ahs. Ready? Here we go. Ah, uh, good old rain rain go away. Now since that melody only has three pitches, E, G, and A, and notice that E and G are both part of the C major chord, there wasn't really any dissonance created between the C major chord and the melody, that brief little A notwithstanding, and thus it sounded just fine playing the one C major chord the whole time. It's also a simple enough melody that if you've been playing your keyboard along with me in previous lessons, you should be able to work out how to play the melody with your right hand while continuing to play the chords with your left hand just on ta-ahs the whole time, like we just did. I'll leave that for your optional homework. But now, let's try a longer, more complicated melody and see where the 1C major chord fits and what spots in the melody we'll want to change to a different chord. Play the C major on ta-ahs again with me here, and I'll add a new melody this time. Here we go. Good. Did you hear the spots where the C major just ached to be a different chord? Most of the time it was quite happy to be C major, but especially at that sort of caesura in the melody, at the end of the first full phrase, which sounded like this. Then it really felt like it clashed with our C major chord. And that feeling of the melody pitches clashing with the chord's pitches is the reason why most songs need more than just one chord though usually not more than a handful of chords. Chords generally want to stay pretty consonant with the melody that they're backing up, and so they will often need to change in order to fit the melody as best they can. This process is called harmonization, and it's exactly what J.S. Bach did with the pre-existing hymn tune we heard earlier. In fact, Bach wrote so many and such creative harmonizations of Lutheran hymn tunes that collections of his harmonizations are frequently studied and analyzed by music theory students today. In any case, a melody's pull to get chords to harmonize with it results in a sequence of changing chords in the background, and this sequence is technically called the chord progression. As it happens, this melody from Beethoven's Ode to Joy can be easily harmonized with just two different chords, and we already know C major is one of them, because it sounded fine through most of the melody. Now, if we wanted to get creative with our harmonization, we could try out all kinds of different chords in all kinds of different spots as we play the melody and see what sounds good, but for the basics of chord progressions, it's good to know that the most common toggling that chords tend to do in Western music is between the tonic, or one chord, which is the triad built on the tonic, being C for us right now since we're using the C major scale, and the chord built on the fifth scale degree. If the tonic is the first scale degree, we can count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and we want to build a G triad, which we remember is G, B, and D. This 5 chord 
is also known as the dominant chord, but I've always thought that's a weird name. I mean, what is it supposed to be dominating? Anyway, toggling between the one chord, C major for now, and the five chord, G major, is the most common thing for Beethoven to do in his melodies, so let's try that out and see how it works with the Ode to Joy. Now the nice thing about this toggling between C major and G major is that we actually won't need to move our chord playing hand very much at all if we're clever in knowing what pitches will get us the chords we want. So if we play C major and look at the pitches it uses, C, E, and G, we should look for a way to keep our fingers on the pitches that C major shares with G major, namely the one G, which I'm playing with my thumb right now. So I'll keep my thumb on that G there, and look for a way to also play B and D without shifting my hand from its current position. Now my pinky finger that was playing this C here is of course only one little semitone away from the B just below it, and that means that my middle finger, which is playing this E here, is one white key away from the D, just below it. So after playing my C major chord, if I just shift my pinky and middle fingers down by one white key each, while keeping my thumb in its place on the G, I'll be playing a B, a D, and a G, which is just a rearrangement of the G major triad, G, B, and D. So that's what we should do to go back and forth between playing our C major chord and our G major chord. Let's try it out, giving each chord two ta-ahs like this. Ta, ta, switch. Ta, ta, switch. Ta, ta. You do that with me, and I'll play the melody at the same time. Let's see how well this harmonization works. Ready? Here we go. Oops, huh. I guess we should make sure the last chord is a C major to fit with the ending pitch on the tonic. But other than that, I'd say that harmonization worked out quite well. I hope you agree. So let's try it again a bit faster, and just remember to switch back to C major a bit early on the very last note of the song. Ready? Let's go. Very nice. So in this lesson, we looked at the dramatic effects of playing with dissonance and shifting between dissonant and consonant chords so that one can make a melody feel like a walk in the park or a harrowing expedition through an asteroid field of dissonance. We also learned that harmony can be thought of in terms of little abstract packages of pitches called chords. And the most common type of chord is the triad because it maximizes consonance between its constituent three pitches which are the 1, 3, and 5 of the scale that gives the chord its name. And finally, we tried playing a simple chord progression to harmonize a melody, using the most common alternation between the 1 chord of C major and its 5 chord, which was G major. In the next lesson, we'll use 3 chords to harmonize when the saints go marching in, add some rhythm to our chord playing and maybe a drum part to get a full accompaniment arrangement going, and then we'll start looking at one of my favorite aspects of musical background, called musical texture, and pretty soon we'll also think about music like evolutionary biologists 
to figure out why different world music traditions sound the way they do. I played all our listening examples myself in this lesson, but if you enjoyed these examples of high Baroque style music, look for some recordings of pieces by Telemann, Bach, Handel, Vivaldi, they're all great. Or better yet, look for local performances of this so-called early music, so you can hear it live and really be transported back in time. There's really nothing quite like it, it's amazing. So yeah, support the musicians making music you like, and as always, if you like this podcast, you can support its continued creation by sharing it, reviewing it, and donating to it on my website, mwdatonmusic.com. That's it for me. I'll catch you next time. Happy listening.